The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4230 of The Bugle, the audio newspaper which has now chronicled over 170th of this millennium. That is the most we've ever done of a millennium. We hovered around the 070ths in all previous millennia, so a definite step up. I'm Andy Zaltzman. It's the 16th of May 2022 here as we record, whereas you, yes, you, stop, stop whatever you're doing and pay attention, especially if you're doing... Honestly, sometimes I wish we couldn't hear what you buglers are doing when you listen to the show through the special customer research software we use to know exactly how to pitch our intrusive marketing campaigns. Uh, anyway, whereas you will be listening on a date between 1 and 365 billion days from now, we have a 1 billion year limitation on this episode, so don't leave it too late if, you're, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet. Uh, joining me this week from just up the road in South London, it's Nish Kumar, and from just down a tunnel, drilled directly through the Earth's core from South London and out the other side, and then about a 1,500-mile swim to Tasmania, it's Tom Ballard. Hello, both of you. How are you? Hello, Andy. Hello, <laughs> Hello Buglers. Look at us. Yeah. How's, uh, how's Tasmania? It is beautiful. It is very cold. We went on a cruise yesterday. I'm, I'm filming a TV show down here. Went on a cruise yesterday, and we were surrounded by dolphins and seals and a mother flippin' humpback whale, and it was absolutely magic. Oh, awesome! Well, what, on the boat, or in the, were they in the sea? <laughs> no, they they mugged us afterwards, oh, right. and we were surrounded. It was. <laughs> and did you have to no, take? No, yes, your, on the boat. Did you have to take your own harpoons, or did they? Did they provide them too? <laughs> You're not allowed to do that anymore. Oh, Tasmania's changed. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Hello Tom. Mish. Hello, Buglis. Can I just clarify, Andy? Have you yeah. opened today's show by implying that people masturbate whilst listening to the bugle? Absolutely Is that the not. way that you? No, that's you that interpreting it. that you chose to start this day? No. Are you no. suggesting people are jacking it to pun runs? Absolutely not, Nish. Absolutely not. Um, no, we have had emails from people suggesting they were. Um, engaged in um, <laughs> you know uh, certain activities that might not be necessarily appropriate for discussing on a family show such as this but no no absolutely that's not absolutely not that is your filthy mind judging other people by your horrific standards Nish <laughs> I can only masturbate to this podcast <laughs> They say that the internet is doing weird things to people's sexuality. It's done a real number on mine, let me tell you. <laughs> well, When I orgasm, I say, hello, Buglers! <laughs> oh, dear. This show has gone <laughs> downhill. Out the bat. So I've missed you guys. So fast. Right. <laughs> uh, we are recording on the 16th of May, 2022. You don't get this on your fancy TV show, Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> The news quiz on Radio 4 is not opening with this. <laughs> you haven't played it backwards. Um, uh, we are recording on the 16th of May, 2022. On this day in 1969, the Venera 5, a Soviet space probe, lands on Venus. At the time, it was the most toxic atmosphere encountered by a Russian object since overtaken by Vladimir Putin's dinner table. Uh, on the 17th of May in 1900, the US author L. Frank Baum published The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Um, interestingly, uh, since that date, there's been a massive increase in extreme weather events, but a decline in the number of people made of tin. Uh, read into that 
uh, what you will. Incidentally, the L of L. Frank Baum stood for Lizard King. And <laughs> on the 17th of May 1902, the Greek archaeologist Valerios Stais, fiddling around with some rusty old crap from a 2,000-year-old shipwreck, discovered the Antikythera mechanism, now viewed as probably the world's first analogue computer. Now, it dates um, from uh, before woke icon Jesus Christ started giving it the whole <laughs> be nice to each other stick. Uh, the... Um, Antikythera mechanism consists of numerous intricate cogs and wheels that could perform computer-style functions. It's not entirely clear uh, what it was for, but it's thought to include um, a free, if basic, chariot racing simulator, uh, some uh, hidden cogs and pictures from some seriously um, NSFW vases, uh, a game in which you had to guess a six-letter word in just four goes. They were more advanced in those days. And an actual cookie. It's also slightly dented on the surface, thought to have been uh, uh, left when the uh, owner... Uh, shouted, why the hell have they changed the operating system? I only just got used to the last one. F*** it, I'm going back to papyrus. Um, <laughs> as always, a section of this uh, esteemed audio newspaper is going straight in the bin. Um, this week we have a should you resign uh, section. Um, much debates around the world on whether, uh, when and whether political leaders uh, should uh, resign. We give you a couple of hypothetical scenarios. You have to tell tell us whether you would or would not resign. You are a cabinet minister and you've been caught accepting campaign money from a mysterious woman by the name of Beatrice Elsie Bubb, although she insists on being called B, in exchange for eternal possession of the souls of all your constituents. Should you resign? Should you not resign? We'll leave that up to you. Uh, or you are head coach of your national team at the World Anticipation Championships. Your team gets surprisingly knocked out in the first round by Uruguay and at the press conference afterwards you say, I just didn't see that kind of performance coming. Should you resign or should you cling on to your job? That section is in the bin. I should also point out that uh, every so often Tom Ballard is uh, sipping from a lovely looking glass of red wine because oh. of the Australian time difference. And let me tell you, it's giving the whole air of this episode a classier feel. It's, <laughs> it's like the, uh, the bugle meets Fraser. <laughs> I mean, it is the Australian time difference. It's also a Monday evening, so I'd also say my alcoholism factors into it. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm absolutely shit-faced. But that, I, I, I'm, it's 11am. It's 11am and I'm a British patriot. Just coffee mugs filled with vodka. <laughs> the only British way. vodka, thank you very much. Brussels. It's the only way to get through the week these days. It's, it's British vodka. It's made up of mashed crisps. <laughs> Top story this week, Australia is about to go to the polls. Uh, on the 21st of May, this Saturday, Australia will have its fortnightly general, sorry, triennial general election. Um, <laughs> no mistake. Not far off. Uh, incumbent Prime Minister Scott Morrison struggling in the polls after proving highly effective at not being highly effective. Uh, this could potentially herald the end of nine years of Liberal Party government. Uh, Tom... As um, uh, I, I don't, I don't know where you're running in the polls, um, but you know, I assume you've got a chance of taking over. Everyone in Australia seems to do it at some point in their lives. But uh, what's <laughs> bring us up to date with uh, what no doubt has been a thrilling uh, and edifying campaign? It has. It's an electrifying contest, Andy. I got to say, we do have Liberal Party Prime Minister Scott Morrison, aka ScoMo. Dubbed ScoMo by the public, Woo! leader of the Australian Labor Party, Anthony Albanese, aka Albo. <laughs> They're facing off. Australian politics has come down to ScoMo versus Albo, for we are a nation of cavemen. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think we're ever going to have elections in Australia anymore. It's just going to come down to ScoMo and Albo wrestling each other to the death in a muddy billabong, and whoever wins become the bloody primo of Australia, and they'll be crowned with a wide-brimmed cork hat made out of racism and coal. That's the contest. Uh... Albo, Anthony Albanese, is an aspiring guy. He's got a lot of momentum going on. At the start of 2021, he was involved in a near-fatal car crash. He kicked off this election campaign by being unable to name the unemployment rate, and he then proceeded to demonstrate how in touch he is with ordinary people by contracting the novel coronavirus. So he's going very well. Um, It's been a pains to make it clear to the Murdoch media in Australia that he is not woke. He did a front-page cover of a Murdoch paper saying he's not woke. Uh, In fact, he is so dedicated to being not woke, he insists on giving press conferences and speeches that send people to sleep. So that's a lot of dedication. You got Albo. Then on the other hand, for Scott Morrison, he's a cunt. That's pretty much the summary of the two sides that we have that will be uh, facing it off this Saturday, Andy. Right. A dance as old as democracy itself. I am fascinated by the idea of you guys starting elections on a Saturday. That simply would not wash in Britain. I People would be processing their Friday night hangovers that segue immediately into their Saturday afternoon drinking sessions. It, it would be, for a country that already has a low electoral turnout, I think the turnout would be in minus numbers. In Australia, it is... Um... It is. It's compulsory, isn't it, um, to do it at least? People would just price. Andy, be honest. If they made it compulsory, people would just price the fine into their Friday night drinking. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's have a whip round. Oh, and the fines, and the fines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest issues, of course, in the election is climate policy. Um, obviously, we don't want to spend too much time on this. Climate crisis, not really generally considered to be much of a comedy goldmine. Uh, fun fact, <laughs> gold mines emit nearly an entire tonne of CO2 for every ounce of gold they produce. And Australian <laughs> gold mines are some of the dirtiest in the world. You see what I mean? It's a real boner killer. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to really affect my wank tomorrow to this podcast. Oh, Jesus, you people. This is a sophisticated newscast. Honestly, John Oliver will be turning in his grave. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, what happens a- with the Earth's climate is obviously very important for Australia. Uh, there are basically two seasons in this country, on fire and underwater. <laughs> uh, we're copping so many devastating fires and floods these days. Australia is now basically the Bible with more swearing. That's basically what Australia's become. Well, yeah, Tom, uh, yes. I mean, yes, Australia has suffered droughts, floods, fires, crocodiles, coral reefs calling in sick over and over again, various other biblically inspired plagues. And, you know, I mean, not all of them can be directly attributed to you contravening God's holy laws. But how is it that, you know, with 0.3% of the world's population, Australia responds. If you include the export of fossil fuels for 3.6% of the world's uh, carbon emissions. Its uh, emissions reduction target of 26% is half of the US and UK benchmarks, and those benchmarks should not be benchmarks, given that <laughs> our benches are also essentially uh, on fire. I mean, how's it going, uh, Tom, if, in finding, for example, to, you know, to help with, with weaning yourself off carbon, finding, for example, a 37,000-mile-long coastline that might have some tides or winds or shit like that that could be maybe harnessed if the technology is ever developed to, to turn such things into electricity or maybe yeah. 6.5 million square kilometres of uninhabitable land that does pretty much f*** all um, most of the time, apart from lying there being shone on by the sun. I mean, is there any hope <laughs> for Australia? <laughs> 
Those are some good ideas. They, they haven't come up yet, but you, you should write a letter or something to, to ScoMo or Elbow. It's very complicated down here, Andy, because, yep. you know, obviously we're one of the most vulnerable countries when it comes to the impacts of climate change. So obviously on one hand, it's in our interests to solve that problem. On the other hand, we are making shitloads of money by exporting fossil fuels around the world. So, f*** science. You know, these <laughs> yeah. are the two arguments that we have. And, you know, climate scientists may be accurate or whatever, but as far as the Australian ruling class is concerned, money speaks louder than nerds. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty happy with that. <laughs> rightly, Both, rightly so, Tom. Rightly so. <laughs> rightly so. I'll, I'll masturbate to that as I listen back. Oh. Both major parties are claiming <laughs> to have the oh, best... That was a horrific. That was a Perry Como song in the 50s, I think. <laughs> Both major parties are claiming to have the best climate policy this election. They've both bravely committed to making Australia reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050, by which time both ScoMo and Albo will be in their 80s, I'll be in my 60s, and Bangladesh will be in the sea. Uh, but it's not exactly the most believable or inspiring deadline for the decarbonisation. I think it's fair to say that like net zero by 2050 isn't informed by science or like political decisions. It's really just us loving a round number, right? <laughs> like Australia actually needs to decarbonise by 2035, but that's not divisible by two and it's not very catchy, so that can piss right off. Also, 2050's got an O on the end. Uh, as a num as numbers go, isn't it? So that, that fits into the Albo Scomo thing. It's twenty fifth though. Is uh, <laughs> something that you can you can cling to as a, as a nation. Twenty fifth though. It is surprising that people are not more worried about uh, the climate crisis in regards to Australia because the, the, here's the thing about a lot of the global south. It's filled, and these are not my words, with people who look like fucking me. And oh, as, no. as we've learned from history, people who look like me do not make huge amount of waves in the people giving a shit about it in the global north. <laughs> but there are white people in Australia. Why are there white people in Australia? Let's not open that can of historical worms. <laughs> Australia, is, Australia makes up 0.3% uh, of the world's population, but is responsible for just over 1% of global emissions. And so Australia has a very small population, but contributes a disproportionately high amount of uh, to the climate crisis with catastrophic global consequences. In many ways, it is like cricket in that Australia has a very small population, but contributes a disproportionately high percentage <laughs> to the game with catastrophic global consequences. <laughs> and uh, it's all very boring. Yes, I agree. You, Tom! <laughs> Why would you do that, Tom? Why would you I'm do sorry. that? Why would you slag off cricket? To an Indian and Andy's Zaltzman. That's right. It's Sorry, not just boys. God, you're an abomination in the eyes of... Let me tell you that. <laughs> um, um, Scott Morrison's plans, if they can be called that, have been criticised for relying on technologies that not only don't work yet or are as yet unproven or are currently too expensive, but on technologies that don't even exist yet. So essentially <laughs> yeah. his policy is to just assume that someone is going to sort it out uh, in future, I mean, I mean, the history of this, you know, you go back to the dinosaurs, assuming someone's going to invent an asteroid net. That didn't work out uh, too well. <laughs> All mistakes were made throughout history. Um, Morrison, obviously a bit of a carbon emissions fan. He nailed his colours firmly to the uh, burning mast when he took a lump of coal into Parliament <laughs> a few years ago to show his support for the uh, Australian anti-fossil fuel staying in the ground movement. Uh, now, I'm not sure, you know, how he'd have shown his support, for example, the Australian sewage processing industry or Australian <laughs> pig breeders or, or brain surgeons. But he did, he did show his support for 
at the car and he t- decided to take in a lump of coal. <laughs> um, and I guess the, the option would have been to take in a doll representing future generations saying, what have you done to my world? But a coal was kind of easier to fit in his pocket. I guess. <laughs> he held up the coal and he said, this is a coal, don't be afraid, don't be scared, it won't hurt you. Which is like, well, no, not if you just hold it, you fucking loser. The point is, if you burn it, yeah. it's a bit CO2, which cooks the atmosphere. It's like, you can't just hold up like, this is a McDonald's El Maco burger. Don't worry, it won't hurt you. What if I eat it? Then it will definitely kill you. Yeah, be careful. Why am I being arrested? I was just waving the gun around. <laughs> this is a bullet. It won't hurt you. <laughs> there have been six mass bleaching events on the Great Barrier Reef in the last few years. I mean, that is... That's a catastrophic... I mean, that's the worst mass bleaching event since the uh, vogue at the turn of the century for frosted tips. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't recall that vogue, Nish. (laughs) I had a bleaching joke as well. I said that the Morrison government's... A plan of emissions reduction of 35% by 2030 is consistent with the world reaching three degrees of warming, which would mean the Great Barrier Reef will become more bleached than an Instagram model's anus. <laughs> yours works too. I think they both work, don't you think, Andy? We've covered the oh. alpha and omega of bleaching jokes. <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by work, I guess. Um, uh, no election is complete these days, Tom, without uh, an absolutely batshit crazy candidate um, <laughs> banging on about gender. Um, who has uh, taken the uh, the prize for the most batshit crazy in this uh, in the Australian election? Oh, it is a crowded field, Eddie's ultimate. But I think it ha- the first prize has to go to the former lawyer and Liberal candidate in the Sydney seat of Warringah. This is the former seat of one Tony Abbott, who was always very progressive on social issues. The Liberal (laughs) Party has identified uh, Catherine Deves, former lawyer and advocate for for women's sport, she says, as their candidate. She says she's passionate about protecting women's sport from the horrific nightmare that is transgender inclusion. Now, obviously, I am qualified to talk about this story, Andy. All regular bugles will know that if there's two things Tom Ballard is an expert in, it's sport and women. Apparently, those two things come together sometimes in what's known as women's sport. I've, have yeah. you heard about this, Andy? I've never, I, I don't believe it myself. But, but Miss Steve says she's worried that like the whole existence of women's sport is under threat by including uh, trans women. She's been making her feelings about that subject very, very clear uh, in a series of extremely spicy tweets for quite a few years now. Uh, the problem for Catherine Deves is that those tweets are on Twitter, which is on the internet, which is a thing that people can read. And even though she deleted all of those tweets when she transitioned, we might say, into becoming a liberal candidate, people have very easily found those tweets and started to ask some basic questions like, what the f***? What the hell? And what the f***ing hell is wrong with you? <laughs> In the deleted tweets, Steve describes trans, ch- trans children as being surgically mutilated and steri- sterilised, said that gay men using surrogacy was a human rights violation, and compared her fight against trans inclusion to fighting against the Nazis during World War II. Basically, she's Al Graham Linehan without a body of work of beloved situational comments. <laughs> she's like a J.K. Rowling who can't write. That's basically her vibe. And uh, Deves wrote about how she felt triggered by simply seeing the LGBTQIA plus rainbow flag. She wrote, whenever I see it on social media, I think, 
What now? What are they demanding now? A disposition she shares with satirical comedian Andy Zaltzman, who insists on replying to my emails with phrases like, what do you want now, Tommy Twinkle Toes? And look out, lads, Ballard's here, backs against the wall. Which doesn't even make sense. Well, as I said, confidential at the top of those emails. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's also once wrote on a website her concern that the introduction of respectful relationship workshops in schools would lead to young boys coming home and asking their parents to have their penises removed, which is you know, some pretty f***ing intense homework. But in response to all the outrage, <laughs> Dave's has made an apology, so she's made it all good. She said, in my dedication to fighting for the rights of women and girls, my language has on occasion been unacceptable, which I'm sure we can all relate to. You know what it's like, Nish. You're just full of, like, hepped up on your passion for social justice. One thing leads to another, and before you know it, you're comparing trans people to Nazis. That's <laughs> Catherine Deves' problem. She just cares too damn much. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about Australia? Are you guys following? Does this appear in your headlines at all? Is the relationship between Scobo and Elbow weighing uh, on the minds of the, of the people of Britain? Oh, to be honest, no. Um, I mean, we do our absolute <laughs> level best to ignore pretty much everything in the news. I think at the moment. Um, so, sure. I mean, we can't we can't even really give that much of a shit about the relationship between our own prime minister and the concept of truth and dignity. So, <laughs> why we should care about uh, Australian uh, pol- politics? Um, um, I'm not. We just don't don't have the bandwidth. I think. What, do, what does Scomo think about Wagatha Christie? That's what. Well, that's how we get <laughs> yeah. into it. I have not followed. I saw that headline and I refused to encourage it by clicking on the article. <laughs> what is the Wagatha Christie? I don't know what it oh, is. Oh, it's one of the great uh, stories of intrigue of our time. It, it, it involves uh, two people who are married to famous footballers and a potential oh. information leaking to it. Basically, it's our generation's Watergate. Yeah, but more so, <laughs> well, I think. Actually, and, um, our generation's Watergate is the various scandals our Prime Minister is embroiled in. But it's what <laughs> we have allowed our generation's Watergate uh, to be, uh, effectively. For those of you unfamiliar with the, uh, the the Wagatha Christie trial, I can bring you up to date with this. It's a trial involving the wives of two prominent English footballers. Probably the biggest legal hoo-ha involving the uh, spouses of uh, leading sportsmen since Douglas Jardine's missus and Don Bradman's wife ended up in court over a disagreement about who started trying to explain bodyline bowling with the last remaining profiterole at the Teensville in the 1932-33 Adelaide Test match. That was also known as the Wartha Conan Doyle trial, uh, I believe. Um, the uh, Wag of the Christie began when Colleen Rooney, wife of uh, footballer Wayne, planted fake stories on her Instagram feed to try to catch whoever was leaking stories from her feed to The Sun, the self-proclaimed newspaper. Uh, as it turned out, uh, what happened was she stumbled on a global conspiracy involving covert Russian operatives flooding the British news media with an unending diet of stories about celebrities to distract the nation from the fact that the ill-gotten gains of dubious Russian kleptocrats were being baked into the heart of British society and politics, eating away at the fabric of our body politic from within. So that's essentially what happened. Uh, but I heard the whole story yet. Sometimes this show is like a fucking Adam Curtis documentary. <laughs> NATO news now, and uh, Finland and Sweden are applying to join NATO, or as it's also known, Club 1949, uh, which currently has uh, 30 member nations. Two more would be wonderful uh, for uh, NATO. It would make the internal competitions so much easier. 
having 32, you could go straight into a five-round knockout or eight groups of four, uh, whereas 30 at the moment is a frankly, logistical nightmare. I just hope this it doesn't man, go the same. This man can see a sports tournament in literally anything. <laughs> He walks into the I, room. It'd be much better if war was organised as a sports tournament <laughs> with a series of round robins. I think, I think at least we'd know where everything was going then. We'd have a good plan. Well, that's, you, uh, did ha- John and I used to do a, a sketch, a very amusing uh, sketch, which we drew the quarterfinals for uh, for the year's wars um, many years ago. It might have got out in a previous sub-bugle, but um, what might was see the, if I can uh, dig it out from somewhere. To, what so, was the reference to Russia? Uh, I've seen this. It was. Uh, so we drew the ball, like in the FA Cup draw we have here. So you draw balls out and each uh, country has a number. If I can remember off the top of my head, the first one was uh, number five, Russia, always strong at home. Uh, we'll play number one, the United States of America. That's the one the fans have wanted to see for years. Uh, next out, number three, Great Britain, without a significant win in a while. We'll play number six, India. Oh, that could be closer than last time. Um, <laughs> Number seven, the Democratic Republic of Congo will play number seven, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Another <laughs> local derby between these two old rivals. <laughs> Let's just hope more people tune in to watch it this time round. That was the line that made it satirically valid. And finally, um, number eight, Palestine will play number two, Israel. And number one, the United States of America. <laughs> that concludes the quarterfinal draw for this year's wars. There's a bit of but I reckon that was about 2004 we first did that uh, did that sketch. I mean, that last line continues to be bleakly topical. <laughs> Especially in a week where uh, the IDF proved that they really continue to put the IDF into the phrase IDGAF. And the thing they don't give a fuck about is basic decency or human rights. Um. Uh, Putin has warned um, his uh, Finnish counterpart that joining NATO and abandoning Finland's neutral status would be, quotes, a mistake. And if there's one man in the world right now who knows about making mistakes, it's (laughs) the early frontrunner for (laughs) of the millennium, uh, Vladimir Putin. And it's looking all set to be another very hotly contested title, that one, with some impressive uh, entries already sent in. Um, Both countries are set to abandon decades of non-alignment in response to Russia's so-called special military operation in Ukraine. Uh, Thus far, not wildly special, unless by special you mean remorselessly brutal, yet incompetent to an almost slapstick degree. And it's an operation the same way that you give yourself an operation when dealing with an itchy elbow by revving up your chainsaw, charging onto a crowded train, chainsawing both your own arms off and shouting, I'm going to get you to the confused passengers. Um, Russia has not taken uh, taken this uh, this well. It's threatened uh, retaliation. Um, uh, Nish is our um, Nordic uh, military uh, correspondent. Um, wh- wh- where does this leave? Uh, that, you look uh, at me, you yeah. think two words, you think Scandinavian military. <laughs> um, it's um, it, So, look, <laughs> at this point, Vladimir Putin, uh, in a phone call uh, with the Finnish president, Sauli Nisto, said that it was an example of a pronunciation I've almost certainly butchered. Um, <laughs> but uh, all I would say is that is revenge uh, on white people for <laughs> generations of calling me nice. Okay? <laughs> nice. You go for fish and chips, not fish and chipes. But... <laughs> I think Sean Connery called you nice once. It was a mental yeah, compliment, yeah. I believe. <laughs> uh, 
he uh, he's warned the uh, the Finns in a phone call that uh, joining NATO would be a mistake. Uh, he said the Russian leader had stressed that the end of the traditional policy of military neutrality would be a mistake, since there is no threat to Finland's security. Now, at this point, Vladimir Putin is simply the wolf who cried boy. He is <laughs> he has absolutely no grounds on which to make a case that he is not a threat to anyone's national security at this point. And I mean, he's sort of inadvertently strengthening NATO by his policy of invading everyone who I feel like invading. <laughs> uh, the One of the most disturbing elements uh, of all of this, uh, not directly related to the conflict itself, is I was aware that Sanna Marin, who is the Prime Minister of Finland, was a young politician. Uh, I did not know how jarringly young she was. Uh, she is <laughs> three months younger than me. She's 36 years old. She is three months younger than me. And she is uh, currently embroiled in a geopolitical situation born out of Vladimir Putin's Botox-driven insanity. (laughs) For context, two days ago, I slept through my alarm, which was set for (laughs) 11am, and only woke up at midday because I farted myself awake. (laughs) We're just... We're two people who were born in 1985... They're dealing with very different problems. <laughs> Santa Marin and I, literally our year of birth is, I would say, the only thing the two of us uh, have in common. Well, maybe if you stop telling that story during the Finnish elections, Nish, you might have fared a little bit better. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> weirdo. Um, to be fair to Finland and Sweden, though, you, you can see why they wanted to go with NATO, because applying to join the Russian Federation at the moment, it's not... Not looking too attractive, is it? I mean, the way they go about trying to sign new members seems a little, well, a little too far on the aggressive end of the marketing and recruitment at Seesaw. Uh, also, NATO has a special promotion at the moment. If you join, you get a free cuddly nuclear warhead toy, Deirdre the Deterrent. You get an 800-mile length of do-not-cross tape, and you get a free prayer from the political or religious leader of your choice in the events of a Russian invasion, which has proved so effective uh, in uh, in Ukraine. Um Nish, Britain signed mutual security pacts with the two countries, meaning that I think if a stag do gets out of control in Gibraltar, the finno swedish special forces have to deal with it. Um, and also if, as now seems just a matter of time, the uh, woke army ever launches a ground invasion of the UK to back up its cultural occupation of this land, all Daily Mail and Telegraph columnists and readers will be offered sanctuary in a special boat in the middle of a Finnish lake. So, I mean, it's quite... It's quite a, it's a kind of momentous moment for, for this country as well. Wouldn't you say? I know, I know. And it's going to be a cruel awakening when the uh, people who have left Britain because they think it's quotes too woke end up in Scandinavia and see some <laughs> of their policies in regards to uh, things like uh, you know uh, paid leave for mom- working mothers. It's going to absolutely blow their fucking minds. <laughs> it's one of the stumbling blocks uh, to uh, Sweden and Finland joining NATO uh, is Turkey uh, and uh, President Erdogan, who I think. It's pretty. Uh, we're pretty comfortable in saying is a total uh, has accused both countries of harbouring terrorist organisations that he has almost certainly made up in his head. And this is sort of fundamentally the problem with NATO is that uh, they didn't institute early enough a no policy. And <laughs> at the very least, they should have moved away from their one one vote policy because now we're in a situation where NATO is uh, no offence, full of and. <laughs> The now have a vote, and unfortunately, the are going to vote the way are going to vote, like. 
That's very eloquently put, Nish. Uh, <laughs> and you know, if only you know the Finnish leaders could could express these things in in as uh, sophisticated language as you do, um, as uh, alumni of 1985, then uh, the world would be a calmer place. Um, uh, Boris Johnson has said that uh, he he cannot see any way back for Putin in terms of uh, renormalizing relations with the international community, and um, I can see his point. Um, I mean, he's certainly going to have to buy a good four or five Premier League teams and host the absolute, <laughs> absolute grandmother of all golf tournaments. And Johnson said in an interview on uh, LBC Radio, repentance is going to be very difficult for Vladimir Putin now. And this is why Johnson is the ideal leader for these times. Because when even he is in a position to morally grandstand to someone to talk about the difficulty of repentance and the moral depths to which you've sunk, those words have f***ing meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Putin is going to make some serious donations to the Conservative Party, I think, to get back into good folks. Oh, he, listen, he is one fat do- election donation away from being a member of the British landed gentry. Like, <laughs> Johnson talks a good game. Johnson talks a very, very good game. But if we're honest, if he, if, at the 2024 election, if Putin makes a substantial sum, we will be looking at Lord Putin of Brexitshire in the House of Lords <laughs> in 2025. I was going to make jokes about, like, oh, who cares if Finland joins you or whatever. Like, you know, I'm sure the Finnish military is, like, dumb and small and crappy and shitty. I looked it up. Thanks to conscription, they have more citizens who are fit for military service than Australia does, okay? So whatever happens, Finland, we do, we love you guys. We enjoy salmon. We think your Eurovision entries are hilarious. Please don't hurt us. Kitosh, as you say. But... um there have actually been some calls from right-wing figures and crazy warmongering nationalists in Australia saying that Australia should join NATO, which would really revolutionise our entire understanding of the concept of the North Atlantic. <laughs> if Australia joins NATO, the North Atlantic could be stretched all the way to the South Pacific, and that could be a serious game-changer. But let me tell you, Andy, if Putin and his cronies want to intimidate Australia by threatening to amass his troops on the Russian-Australian border, I say, bring it on, you bastard! <laughs> well, you have NATO. That's going to fit right into the Australian... Uh, <laughs> NATO! Australian world street, isn't it? <laughs> Unstoppable shitstorm that is the aftermath of Brexit update now, and Britain is on the point of consolidating its position as least trustworthy former member of the European Union um, by unilaterally shredding the Northern Ireland Protocol, the deal we willingly signed um, in 2019. Now, admittedly, there aren't that many former members of the European Union. Uh, In fact, I think um, Britain is, is the only one. But the point is, we are setting a mark that is going to be very hard for anyone to match. Um... So why uh, is this happening? A a few reasons. Um, One, because we hadn't bothered to think it through uh, first and now we can't be asked to try and make this complicated piece of legislation work. Two, because the government needs to argue with Europe about something because it has to distract from its own unquenchable Vesuvius of incompetence and moral shititude. And three, because we're f***ing Britain and we can do what the f*** we want. Read the history books, losers. We always do the right thing. Not those history books. Only the history books on our approved list, please. Um... Uh, Nish, the Northern Ireland situation is... Uh, Just read and... the one that says WW2. Just read that one. <laughs> uh, Nish, the Northern Ireland situation is extremely complicated, so I'm turning uh, to you now to explain it with your uh, traditional uh, delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Andy, there's been, there's been 
there's been a frankly anti-Hindu discriminatory amount of beef in the island of Ireland. (laughs) It's a it's it is a spicy situation. And it was a spicy situation that uh, in the kind of mid 1990s, a a process began to de-spicify the situation. Uh, and it was sort of worked through a string of very complicated compromises that culminated in the Good Friday Agreement, uh, which established a, a kind of invisible border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, was worked through with a huge amount of compromise on both parts uh, and a huge amount of work from the uh, then uh, British and uh, a little bit of contribution from the American administrations. Basically, a huge amount of work uh, went into it. Uh, what happened to that work? Well, let me tell you. Boris Johnson undid his flies, dropped his trousers and pants, <laughs> and took a huge f***ing dump all over it. <laughs> and why did he do that? Why does Boris Johnson do anything? For his own professional gratification. Uh, so the situation is that the uh, the government is considering, or and quite openly considering, reneging on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, Boris Johnson is considering going back on that deal, a deal which was signed by one B. Johnson. <laughs> uh, he had his fingers behind his back when he signed it, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yes, And yes. one of his he, feet off the ground. Several Conservative uh, MPs have now claimed that he uh, signed that under duress. And you go, it's not a f***ing confession extracted by torture, you f***ing idiots. <laughs> it, the only thing he was being held ransom by was by his own f- political party uh, so he has now uh, sided with uh, so uh, Sinn Féin uh, the political party won uh, the majority of seats in the most recent bout of elections uh, in Northern Ireland uh, Boris Johnson is now uh, siding with the Democratic Unionist Party the DUP who are a pack of uh, I mean how to put this delicately <laughs> they're a pack of flat earthers and witch burners and <laughs> The Northern Ireland Protocol established an invisible border in the Irish Sea for checks on goods. Now, that seemed to be a compromise that was acceptable uh, for everybody at the time. If you're wondering why has any of this happened, why has Boris Johnson signed a deal that he is now going back on? Here's what you have to understand about Johnson the man. His attitude to Brexit is a lot like his attitude to having children. He had... Almost no interest in the end product, but he is very interested in the process. <laughs> he was very interested with Brexit and with f***ing. He is very interested in getting it done. He is less interested in what happens with the consequences of getting it done. <laughs> so now we're in a situation where in, in order for him to proclaim uh, Independence Day uh, in 2020... He had to sign a bunch of agreements that he wasn't necessarily himself particularly interested in signing up to. Uh, But he really wanted to be able to say that Brexit was done because that was basically his entire election manifesto. It was just get Brexit done, scrawled in shit. And then in brackets, (laughs) some stuff about shipping refugees off to Rwanda. So it really was the only thing that he had set his stall out around doing. But now, unfortunately, we're into the detail section and the geopolitical equivalent of a woman turning up at his doorstep with a baby with a suspiciously blonde mop of hair is happening. And he is saying, the kid ain't mine. (laughs) (laughs) The Irish Foreign Minister, Simon uh, Coveney, um, warned that a unilateral move to change the protocol would 
call into question the entire trade deal, UK's trade deal with the European Union. And he said, what we can't do is accept that the British government would act unilaterally, that they would pass legislation to effectively breach international law, because this will cause an awful lot more problems than it will solve. Well, I would say to you, Coveney, wake up, because causing more <laughs> problems than it solves is exactly what all 17.4 million relevant people in the UK <laughs> voted for. That the sooner everyone accepts that and gets on board with maximising problems instead of wokely trying to solve them, the sooner we can all move together as a continent in the same direction, backwards. Um, the DUP's Remember Jeffrey the Donald- slogan, <laughs> Brexit means problems. That's what we all said. Um, the DP's Jeffrey uh, Donaldson said, words don't cut it for me. I need action. I want Johnson's words translated into clear action. Personally, I think the first thing to do would be to translate Boris Johnson's words into what he actually means and then decide whether or not you actually want them put into action. I guess that we can do nothing but echo uh, the thoughts of my support act, the wonderful comedian Tessa Coates, who is uh, a cartoonishly English woman. Uh, who, uh, opening for me in my tour shows in Belfast and Dublin last week, simply started by saying, hello, I'm very, very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I reckon the results are in. Colonialism. (laughs) Putting it out there. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle. Um, Chris, uh, before we go, uh, we uh, have long been talking about, well, I'd say long, about the last couple of weeks, uh, rejigging the uh, voluntary subscription scheme with new rewards for our premium level uh, voluntary uh, subscribers, uh, including launching the Bugle uh, Hall of Fame, or Wall of Fame even. Um, Can you just explain uh, to our listeners exactly what this will involve? Uh, It's quite simple. Uh, This show does not contain any adverts. Not once in this program have you given a host read for a petrochemical company (laughs) or an arms dealer or Tom's brand of red wine merchant. (laughs) And and we Mm, won't do it now. No, Tom. Tom. Try it today. And the reason we don't do this... Chevron, delicious. Because we are funded by voluntary donations, but we try to do it with a little bit extra... So we have been doing, at some enormous personal cost to you, Andy, over the last few years, <laughs> an offering of lies made up about every single one of those premium donors. And uh, we've got through the full first batch. So uh, on, on top of the ability to get merch and just generally donate to the show for a, an amount per month that you would see fit, you can now donate to the show and join our official wall of fame which may possibly involve Andy having to write a full book every week of, <laughs> of lies ab- about you, but will still give you enormous prestige, honour and status and some merch. So you're either a good bugler or you're a <laughs> Can we have that made up into a T-shirt? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so wow. yes, you give money and someone will wake up lies about you. It's the British <laughs> political system. Brought to the beautiful so stuff. If, if you have subscribed whilst the lie offer was still in place, we will get round to your lies uh, over the next uh, next few weeks uh, or so. You'll be rolled on to the Wall of Fame as well. So yes. if you've already had your lie, you're about to get into the Wall of Fame too. 
Yes. So the, the Wall of Fame will uh, shortly be tagged on to the end of uh, Bugle uh, Bugle episodes. So thanks for all your support to keep this show free, flourishing and independent. Um, if there are a few tickets left for my shows at Soho Theatre this week, um, uh, well, Monday, Tuesday, probably too late for by the time you listen to this, uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, Tom, anything to plug? Um, British folks, my team, my little voice on uh, Radio 4 in the in the coming months. I've got a half-hour special coming up pretty soon. I'll be tweeting more about it close to the, the date, but I think it's in June that it's going out. I'm recording it in May here in Australia. But, uh, yeah, keep an ear out for that, please. That'd be great. Nish? Uh, New York Buglers, I arrive, hopefully, uh, on Wednesday. Um, and uh, I will be doing shows on the 19th, 20th, 21st and 23rd of May at the Soho Playhouse. And tickets are surprisingly sparse. So uh, do book now. Bit of a surprise. Bit of a surprise to us all, frankly. Uh, what's this? In, in the words of my mother, who are these people? <laughs> They think they're booking for Ramesh. Is that what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have built it under his name. <laughs> Chris. Uh, and Andy, yes, yes. Uh, I am going to cycle uh, 500 kilometres in four days up 5,000 metres worth of mountains right, this right. coming weekend for musical therapy charity Nordoff Robbins to make people's life better. Buglers can, instead of donating to the Bugle, donate to me instead. Right. It's in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, well, good, good, good luck with that. Good luck with that. That's yeah. it's, not, it's not the Tour de France, though, is it? It's not the. Uh... It's faster. Right. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, pissing the test tube at the end of it, and uh, if it comes back clean, you'll get your money. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. I'm not to sending you my piss anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's why we sacked Tom. It, you know. Um, anyway, Wait, you'll give him the money if the piss is clean. What iteration <laughs> of the Tour de France have you been watching? <laughs> Why do you think the f***ing jersey's yellow? <laughs> right, I think this show must end now. Goodbye, buglers. Happy masturbating, everybody. Hope you have a great big wank, everybody. Peace out. <laughs> Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.